Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Build Your Network, episode 78. Hey, this is Ed Milet from World Financial Group, and I want you to learn how to max out the relationships in your life. You should be listening to Build Your Network podcast with my good friend, Travis Chapel. You have the ambition, the knowledge, and the experience, but still lack those relationships necessary for achieving true success. Welcome to Build Your Network, your guide to growing your inner circle, increasing your influence, and assisting others in reaching their goals. This is networking the way it should be, brought to you by your host, Travis Chapel. What is up and welcome to the one and only show that brings you tips and tricks on networking from the best experts around three days a week. Although they may not all be in the same field, every guest that comes on the show has one very important thing in common. They believe, as I do, that building relationships is crucial to achieving success in life. I cannot wait to introduce you to today's guest, but first, Build Your Network is supported by CastBox, the fastest growing, highest rated podcast app on iOS and Android. CastBox has over 50 million free episodes that more than 10 million users download and listen to wherever, whenever. And now for all Build Your Network listeners, once you've downloaded the CastBox app, click Go Premium and enter promo code 90 days to get three free months of premium features. Head on over to the App Store or Google Play Store to download CastBox now. And now let's go ahead and chat with today's guest, 
Ed Milet. Ed is one of the premier business leaders, peak performance experts, and motivational speakers in the world. He has a passion for mentoring and coaching others on what it takes to become a champion in all areas of life. He's shared the stage and has very close personal relationships with other business legends like Tony Robbins, John Maxwell, Phil Knight, and many, many others. Ed, thanks so much for coming to the show today, brother. Really, really excited to have you on. Why don't you go ahead and expound on that intro just a tad and tell us what you're most excited about right now. Wow. Thank you for that intro, brother. <laughs> that was very nice. Well, expound on the intro. Well, I think the part that probably should give it the most context is that I'm a very normal person. So sometimes when you get these big intros, the introductions sort of can lead you to believe somebody's special or unique in some way. And I'm, I'm really not in that regard. I got a pretty average IQ. I know I'm taking away from the intro, but I'm being honest. <laughs> when you do these programs, I've been saying this often, brother, you always see the after. So if this was like mm -hmm. a weight loss ad, right, we're always featuring the after. Right. So multimillionaire, jets, cars, houses, blah, blah, blah. And that's credibility, mm -hmm. but it also could lead somebody to believe that you're different than them. And the power of a weight loss ad when you see it is that they show the before, right? This is when the guy was fat. Now he's right. ripped. And so right. the before is compelling too. And so I'm a normal person. I average background. What I have is pretty good work ethic, though, and I work on myself real hard. What I'm most excited about right now, to answer your question directly, though, is sort of this transition I've made in my career. Whereas I spent, I'm in my mid 40s. I spent, you know, the really was probably the first half of my life, sort of building a business, building a net worth, building a foundation, sort of building my example, which mm -hmm. I want to continue to do. I want to continue to grow that, grow my life, and get better. But I've sort of turned the corner now at the encouragement of some other people, and I want to begin to pay that forward. I'm sharing what I've learned. I'm sharing mainly from the mistakes I've made, and I'm enjoying the process of accumulating people whom I've helped in my life as opposed to accumulating material things. Because hmm. I found that the material things I've accumulated, I, hey, brother, I love nice things. And he, I hate when rich guys tell you, Material things don't matter. That's easy for them to say because they have them, right? So yeah, exactly. I think they're wonderful. I'd much rather drive a Ferrari than a Camry, believe mm -hmm. me, right? But I can tell you the first time I drove my Ferrari, it was a million times better than it is now. It's nice now. Mm -hmm. And so those things don't fulfill you. What I'm finding is fulfilling me that I'm not tiring of, that never feels empty, is serving people. And so that I'm really, like you could probably hear it in my voice, like I'm really excited about that. It juices me. So that's what I'm doing now. And a couple ways you're doing that. I know that you're doing a lot more speaking gigs and stuff like that, but you're also doing some podcasting, which obviously I'm all about. <laughs> so tell us your experience with that so far. How's that been? Been, been a good experience, positive, negatives? What, what, I, how's that been? I love it. I do have a podcast and I'm blessed that I've been able to draw on the program, some pretty high profile people. So it's now sort of in the top 20 regularly on iTunes when I release one. And so that's sort of phenomenal. And I like it because I'm learning. Mm -hmm. So there's two types I do. I do one where I put out content that's my own, but you know, to be able to really pick the brain. And the, most of these guys are friends of mine before they come on, but it's a different conversation. So to pick the brains of a tour player like a Zach Johnson, you know, what exactly is it like to have to make a putt? to win the masters, you know, or the British open, like in their mind. And I just had Dominic Cruz on my show. He's a UFC fighter. And I work with a lot of fighters on their mental game, but I wanted my audience to hear what is training like? What's it like in the locker room when your hands are being wrapped? Are you scared? Hmm. You know, do you have fear? Are you afraid? You know, what are you thinking when you get in the ring, when you're in the ring, do you react? Or are you thinking? And so I'm learning Tony Robbins obviously was a really uh, incredible experience for me too. So I love it. I love that people are getting exposed. I, I love doing this with you. You and I were just talking off, you know, the camera off mic here, just getting to feel your spirit, getting to know you. 
the reason I like the podcast thing, I'll just tell you lastly, is this. If you watch TV today, the media will tell you that we're just completely divided. Mm. You know, that so we all don't like each other. Everyone is somehow someone else's enemy. If you're losing in your life, it's somehow some other group's fault. And both political parties specialize in doing this, yeah. alienating people. And I feel like this small world that's this personal development, business, podcast world proves otherwise. It brings people together. It shows you that people do have aspirations. They do want to serve one another. They do want to improve their lives. They do take ownership. That other people aren't your obstacle. Other people are the key. And yeah. so it's like become this small yet fast-growing almost force for good in the world that I'm excited to be a part of. I think it's a force for good that's needed and that's why I think so many of us, our viewerships have exploded. I, someone just told me yesterday that my Instagram page will get more views a day than Neil Cavuto gets on Fox Business during his program. That just blew my mind, you know, crazy. to think that's true. That's crazy. So yeah. anyway, so I love it. Well, on behalf of all other podcasters, thank you for, for joining this awesome platform and putting out so much great content. If you haven't checked out Ed's show, please go over there. Whatever podcast app you're listening on right now, go swipe up or swipe to the left. Go search. Whatever you got to do, just type in Ed Milet. His show will pop up. Subscribe now. Go rate and review and check out his stuff because it's some of the best content that's even available out there right now. Ed, I want to take a deep dive into like the beginning of all of this because like you said, you're a real person. And talking to you before the show, I mean, thanks so much for spending some time with me just to kind of chat and get to know each other. And you're a real person that has real struggles and you started from the very bottom and built everything from the ground up. So I want to talk about that mentality because I think it's so important for people to understand that, look, you're just like everybody else. It's just a couple of things that you did a little bit differently than what most people do. A couple mindset shifts that happened when you were younger that enabled you to get to the point where you're at now. So let's take it all the way back. I know that your main goal growing up was to be a major league baseball player and that kind of got shattered. Is that right? Can you walk us through that story and walk us through the mental shift that had to happen in order for you to lose that entire dream and then go start building another one immediately? This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a, a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent 
fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Well, great question. You're, by the way, you're a great interviewer. Thank um, that's you. Why I your other programs. Yeah, I was going to be a baseball player, I thought. And, uh, and I had done pretty well. I ended up getting drafted to play professionally. I'd gone and played Division One college baseball. I will be candid with you. I think my career would have ended anyway. Now, in hindsight, having played against guys who played in the big leagues, I think I was a little bit smaller than I needed to be, maybe not quite strong enough at the time. But my career did end by injury. I had a catastrophic injury where I got hit with a pitch that formed a tumor. And I lost part of my right calf. And then he'd take it out again. So I have barely a right calf in my leg now. So I limp when I walk, if you ever see me walk. And so it ended my career. But that's, I think, like most people, I think the injury is sort of was a blessing. Life happens for me, not to me. At the time, it was catastrophic. My dream had ended. In hindsight, and always in hindsight, the events of your life, you notice that happened for me, not to me. It was part of something greater. And I think always events are what meaning we take from them, right? And so I did lose my first dream. I think a lot of people can relate to that. Even listening to this, you, your first dream was to be an actor or an entertainer, or maybe your first dream was your first marriage or your first business, and they go away. And then you're left with those, you're crumbled, you know, you're knocked down, you're in pieces like I was. And what do you do, right? And so I ended up, and we'll talk about this in a second, but I ended up so broke. I ended up unemployed. I had after college with my degree, I was at home living in my parents' house. And, you know, same teddy bear on the bed, posters on the wall from high school, feeling like a loser, you know, frankly, unemployed, living at home. And that's, mm-hmm. that's why that after thing where people see the, you know, the homes and all that other stuff, it's always important to me that people know, hey, listen, that started in my mother and father's bedroom, unemployed, like my dreams had crashed, yeah. you know? Yeah. And then like most entrepreneurs, and we'll talk about this in a second, tons of false starts, being an entrepreneur is, and we'll talk about how I got started if you'd like, but being an entrepreneur is not like always bad. The tough part is you think you got it going, then you don't. You think you got it going, then you don't. It's false start after false start after false start. It's three steps forward, five steps back, right? So yeah. I had progress, then I'd go backwards. And so that's the story of being an entrepreneur. At least it's mine anyway. And my experience with most of my successful friends is tons and tons of false starts and sometimes over years until the final breakthrough happens. So, yeah, I ended up at my parents' house, man. That's where I started in business. There's so much stuff to pick out of that. I would really like to take a jump forward now. So you're broke, living at your parents' house, unemployed, you're injured, but not just like unemployed and injured. It's more like the mentality that you just, like you've been working for something your entire life. Your entire context and perspective growing up is I'm going to be a major league baseball player. That instantly falls apart. You're mentally broken and physically broken and broke living your parents' house. So what was the next step? Did you get into the financial services industry directly from there? Or what did that look like? What was that transition? So no. And like most things in my life, and I don't mean to be very religious on your program, but there was some favor, some blessing, right? That I, there's two parts. We're co- we're partners. So it was some blessing and then hard work by me. So I'll tell you the quick story. The quick version is this, is that I think I was, all these things happened for me, which were to prepare me to be 
the best version of me to go win in business. So what happened was I was unemployed. My father, who was an alcoholic, who's now been sober now 30 years, he's my best friend, had recently gotten sober, which was a blessing. So growing up with an alcoholic father, you would think that's a deficiency. Well, it ends up, if my dad's not an alcoholic, this story doesn't happen. So what happens is my dad gets sober. He's going to those meetings that many people go to in their sobriety. And he comes home from one of the meetings. He goes, I got you a job. And you're going tomorrow morning, damn it. And it's six bucks an hour. It's at McKinley Home for Boys in San Dimas. I said, what is that? He said, I have no idea. But there's, <laughs> a guy at my meet- there's a guy at my meeting named Tim. There's a guy at the meeting named Tim who got you a job. Show your butt up there tomorrow morning. <laughs> get off so my I- couch. <laughs> get off my couch. That's yeah. exactly right. So the next morning, I get dressed. I go down there, 6 a.m. Hi, I'm Eddie Milet. I'm here for the job. They're like, what's an Eddie Milet and what job? And I'm like, uh, <laughs> let me see here. I don't know what the job is. I don't even know what you guys do. Right. And they go, well, we don't know what you're talking about. Who's hiring you? And I said, my gosh, I, I don't know. <laughs> They're like, OK, you need to leave. And I said, wait a minute, Tim. They're like, that's uh, not specific enough. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. all I know about the guy, I'm literally walking out the door, brother. I'm not kidding. I go, all I know about the guy, evidently he's an alcoholic. And they go, oh, Tim. <laughs> Everyone knows drunk Tim. And so oh, they go, man, oh, that's he's, so funny. he's in cabin 4B. And what McKinley is, is it's a campus. A giant campus of group homes, Hmm. all boys, all taken from their families. They're all wards of the court. My boys, I end up going to the cabin and meeting Tim, and he hires me. And I then became like a big brother, a live-in big brother on this campus. My boys were 7 to 10 years old, all wards of the court. My boys, all of them were either molested by their family and removed from their home, or their parents were in prison or dead. Wow. And I immediately became their father, their brother. I spent Christmas, holidays, picked them up from school. They became like my sons. I get emotional talking about this now. And my whole life changed, man, in that instant. I was only making $6 an hour. But all of a sudden, I'm going to tell you, all of a sudden, my life changed from wanting to be this ego-driven, multimillionaire, famous baseball player to I fell in love with serving people. Hmm. I fell in love. I fell in my calling. I mean, I love making a difference. I'm getting emotional right now. I could see their little faces, you know. And some of those boys are still in my life now. They're grown men. But I... I fell in love with serving people. And ironically, having grown up in an alcoholic family, it prepared me to be able to connect with boys who also grew up in broken homes. And so, again, my dad's drinking happened for me. So you can have all these instances in your life, but what meaning do you take from them, right? So now I'm loving that. I'm making a difference. And while I worked there, my best friend's dad called me about a year into it and said, hey, I've got a career you need to look at. I said, I'm not leaving my boys. He said, you can start part-time. And I got recruited part-time into the financial services business while I stayed working with my boys at the group home. Okay. And it ended up over time, I started to make so much darn money because I started my career differently. All of a sudden, my financial career was not about, you know, making money, but it was more about serving people and making a difference. And my following exploded as a young person, both clients and teammates, because they're like, gosh, who's this young man who just cares so deeply? His intentions are so good. And I took all my work ethic from baseball, all the competitiveness, all the intensity, all the showing up early, leaving late, being coachable, being accountable. All that I threw into the financial thing. But now, instead of being ego-driven, I was people-driven. And that combination exploded. And then always, obviously over time, I had to leave there to do this full-time. And so my career took off. So I guess the point I want to make to everybody is that all of these things happened for me because I believe that. I took the right meanings from them. And in hindsight, that's easy to say. But it changed my life. And that's how I got into the industry. It's how I got into financial services. And my whole perspective has always been about serving people and making a difference. I'll say this last to you. My boys wanted four things from me. They wanted me to love them, believe in them, and care about them. 
and help them. Hmm. Love them, believe, care, and help. And you know what I found out? When I met Tom Brady the first time, when I met Phil Knight the first time, when I met Tony Robbins the first time, when I meet any human, do you know what they want from you? Love me, believe in me, care about me, and help me. My boys were no different than any other person. So when I meet people, you talk about networking, when I meet people, the thing they're going to get from me is I love you, man. I believe in you. I care about you, and I will help you. And I'm going to get that across to people all the time. And I learned that from my boys, my 7- to 10-year-old boys. And I've taken that perspective into business. I've taken it into podcasting. I've taken it into my public speaking. I take it into my faith. I take it into my family. I take it into the gym I take that everywhere, and that's changed my life. It's just what I try to do. It's not, I'm not perfect, <laughs> believe me. Yeah, there right. are people you would meet that you go, he didn't love me, you know, he didn't care, <laughs> but they're few and far between. So. Yeah, yeah. So, you do you looking back now? Do you think that any of your success would have been possible without that mindset shift when you were younger? No, I don't think so. I think that look, I'm a product of having some great mentors all my life. I've sought out people who would believe in me, who would care about me, who would love me and who would help me. I'm not ashamed or embarrassed at this stage of my life still to try to draw people into my life who will bring the, that value to me. And I'm a product of that. You know who some of my friends are. And to this day, they still stretch me. They still push me. I still want that. I still want to have a few friends who make me uncomfortable. I don't want all my buddies. We just lay around. We're kind of comfy all the time, right? I want to have some friends that make me uncomfortable. And so, and I, I seek those out all the time. So no, that mindset shift change of serving other people, of intention, of the power of my intentions, I would never have been successful in business without it. So taking it from this point forward, how long did it take you of hustling, grinding, setting up meetings, prospecting, doing pitches and presentations. How long did it take you to start seeing real results in the financial industry? Yeah, I probably got pretty good after three years, meaning my skill set had developed through enough trial and error mm -hmm. that I was, I was probably competent. I think sometimes through all the reps, everything, it probably took me two or three years before I kind of figured out what worked for me, my formula, my recipe sort of. And so then I kind of had my presentation down, how I would overcome an objection, just my vibe, right? You know, at first I think you kind of copy other people that are around you and then you sort of morph it into your own style. So it probably took me three years. And during those three years, I probably almost quit 3000 times. <laughs> That's a, that, that was my next question. Yeah. Cause I, yeah, I mean, it's constant. Cause you just, you know, listen, man, the amount of financial pressure that's thrown upon some entrepreneurs, including mm -hmm. myself, it is like, you have to ask yourself in advance, is my will to win for sale? I mean, can I be bought with enough failure? Right. What's the price I'm not willing to pay for my family, for my dreams, for my legacy, for me eventually meeting the ultimate version of me someday? You have to almost in your mind decide in advance my will to win is not for sale. I cannot be bought because what I did is I spent the first three years constantly negotiating the price in my head, which is many of your right, listeners right. are doing every day. They're negotiating. Is it worth it? Is it not worth it? What I pay? And then instead of just saying, listen, you can't buy me. I'm not buyable. My will to win cannot be bought. I don't care what the price is, how long it takes, no matter what it is, I cannot be bought. And by the way, that type of commitment has massive power to it, massive freedom, massive peace. It's almost like, man, like when you got married, if you were really serious when you got married, this is forever. There's a peace. There's a power. Most people are so afraid to get totally committed because they think it actually ties them up, and it doesn't. Total commitment frees you. Right. And so I wish someone would have told me that 
when I was always negotiating it. Many of your listeners are doing it, right? Bless your heart. You're, is it worth it? I don't know how much more I can take. Why don't you just decide now if you can be bought? Just decide right now. Is there a price? Is your will to win for sale? Do you, are you someday going – is there a ticket? You just – you grab it and say, I'll take the ticket to average. I'll take the ticket to boring. I'll take the ticket to easy street. I'm just going to have an average bo- – because that's what everyone's going to try to get you to do. Everyone in your family, everyone – half the people you're trying to win for are the very people trying to talk you out of it, mm-hmm. right? So you got to decide up front. Because the whole, all the forces in the world are going to try to force you to the easy road, the road everyone travels. Or is there no price you won't pay? I'm not talking about legal, ethical, or moral. We will never right. give in on those things. But aside from that, is there a price you're willing to pay? Can you be bought? And I, I just tell you, at this stage of my life, and I did this very young, you can't buy my will to win. I'm not for sale. I'm going to win. I'm like a dripping faucet. I'm just going to keep coming until I break through. And so that is a powerful freeing force in your life. Yeah, so, so powerful. I love that. I love everything about what you just said. So just a little bit of context here. I come from a door-to-door sales background. So a lot of prospecting, a lot of no's, a lot of slam doors and F off and get off my porch type situations. So people ask me this question a lot. So I want to ask you this question because I think that you're going to have a really great insightful answer here. What is your best advice for handling rejection. I think a lot of people take it really, really personally. And there's a bunch of things that I've tried to study in order to be able to help people that I'm training uh, to get over these things. What's your take on that? Yeah. Okay. Let me give you my best on this because I think that there's all these things people teach every nose closer to a yes. And you can rationally think that, but when it's happening, that doesn't help you. Mm -hmm. Okay. Right. The, The symptom is that rejection's hurting you. Okay. The disease, listen, is your lack of self-confidence. That's the disease. And here's how it works. Self-confidence is really self-trust. When I meet someone who's self-confidence, let me tell you what I know about them. They have built a reputation with themselves of keeping the promises they make to themselves. And over time, if you keep the promises you make to yourself, you grow your self-confidence. That's the key to growing self-confidence is you keep the promises you make to yourself, whether that's a certain amount of phone calls, a certain amount of doors, a certain amount of appointments, certain time you get up in the morning, certain amount of behavior, way you eat, whatever it is, certain amount of times you pray a day. I don't know what it is. When you begin to keep promises to yourself, you explode your self-confidence over time, which means you have a, an impeccable relationship with yourself. When you have an impeccable relationship with yourself, You are unconcerned and unfazed with your reputation with others. Other people's opinions of you and your reputation with other people is meaningless. What is meaningful is your character. And so that pain that you're feeling when you're being rejected is just illuminating the disease of lack of self-confidence. So the key is to begin to work on your self-confidence because in the game of life, your life is like a movie. You are the leading character of that life, and your loved ones that you're doing this for are the leading characters, the best supporting actors, the leading woman, the leading man, right? Your family. At the end of a movie, if you watch the credits, listen to me, everybody. You watch the credits. Watch it. In the beginning, it says, you know, Robert De Niro, leading actor, Meryl Streep, leading woman. It goes through the lead characters. But if you watch long enough, all of a sudden towards the end, doesn't it say, like, taxi cab driver number two? They don't even name them. (laughs) Right. Guy in the background of the bar, number four, (laughs) fight scene guy, number eight, right? Okay. What most people screw up in their life is they live their lives not worrying enough about what the leading characters think, and they spend their lives obsessing about taxi cab driver number two. (laughs) And until you begin to live your life for the leading character, you 
and your family and you separate from worrying all the time about what taxi cab number driver three thinks. And those are the people rejecting you. You got to go into those appointments with self-confidence, knowing your intentions are good, knowing you're there to serve them, having a great reputation with yourself and their response, your reputation with them is inconsequential. And so I can honestly tell you, I'm not going to tell you that rejection never hurts me because I want to be like, like most people, mm -hmm. but I'm not arrogant, but I'm self-confident. And so I know my reputation with you doesn't matter because I know what my character is. I know what my intentions are. Mm -hmm. And so by focusing on your self-confidence, your intentions, your character, and the leading characters of your life and reminding yourself, it's not that these people aren't valuable that are rejecting you, but in your life, they're taxi cab driver number three, man. They are not going to show up in the pages of the book of your life one way or the other. The other people are, which is who you're doing this for. And so I guess it's one of those, it's a long way of also saying your why has to be massive. I can just tell you, when I train people, I'm working on their disease all the time, not the symptoms. Hmm. So would you say then that self-confidence, working on your self-confidence, making more deposits in your confidence bank than you're making withdrawals in your confidence bank, would you say that that would, if you were to boil it down to kind of one thing that allows you to be able to handle rejection, to keep going, to stay committed to your purpose, would that really all boil down to self-confidence? Here's the irony of it. Yes. And, and it's all what you give yourself credit for. Here's, it's amazing. You made those 10 door knocks, right? Yeah. Okay. If you're obsessed with self-confidence, if that's what, what your obsession was, right? But actually what just happened when you knocked those 10 doors is you kept that promise you made to yourself. It, no, regardless of the outcome, your self-confidence should have grown because you kept the promise you made to yourself. Hmm. The mistake people make is they go keep the promise they make to themselves. And instead of focusing on that, they focus on the response from yes. taxi cab yeah. driver number three. <laughs> okay. So the very fact yeah. that you knocked the 10 doors when you told yourself you were going to do it, you should be increasing your confidence. This is not – listen – Life is not about overcoming things. This is a misnomer in personal development. Listen, if your whole life is always about overcoming things, you're always going to have things to overcome. That's not how it works. It's happening for you. And so you're not overcoming this rejection you're getting. You are building your self-confidence. Stop obsessing over what the taxi cab driver thinks of you. Because guess what? The minute you leave there, he's not thinking of you. He's thinking of what you're thinking of him. <laughs> Okay. The majority of people are not uh, thinking about you. Quit giving yourself so much credit. They're yeah. thinking about what you're thinking about them. And so if you can be the one person in the room who's not thinking about what people are thinking about you, you're winning because they're all thinking about what you're thinking about them. So I promise you that's the win. I love when I walk in a room, I know I'm not thinking about what you're thinking about me. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I and I know you are thinking about what I'm thinking about you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. That's, I love so much of what you just said there, Ed. One thing I really want to pull out of that is uh, something that I train on a lot, which is I'll ask people that question fairly frequently just to get feedback and stuff. And I get the whole like, well, imagine the worst case scenario type thing. Like if you don't ask, you're already in the worst case scenario because if they say no, it's the same result if you didn't ask to begin with. Right. But then I, I always add to that. True. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely, definitely accurate. But so the caveat that I always put into that is I would even argue that you're not even in the same position when somebody tells you no that you were if you wouldn't have asked because exactly what you just said you just made a deposit into your self-confidence bank you are getting better at hearing that you are getting better at being able to handle that the next time around would you agree with that yes and by the way why do you think yes you're so right okay think back for a second everybody why is it that people that stay in something longer are more successful 
<laughs> is it, why is that? It's because they've made more deposits yeah. and they've made more deposits in their self-confidence. It's, if you look at whatever company you're involved with, probably the people who've been there longer are doing better than the people that are there newer overall, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And just overall, there's always hot shots to come in and do great. It's because they've made all these effort deposits over time that they eventually develop the self-confidence. Never mind the fact that most businesses are numbers businesses now. Most businesses are high volume. And most people that get into most businesses measure results on too small a sample size. So they make a determination of whether something works for them based on a very small sample size. That's not how it works. You gotta run large sample sizes in order to prove the validation of your business model and yourself. And so stop making decisions, judgments, and assessments on small sample sizes. Large sample sizes are required in order to win in anything anyway. And that's what most people, at least in my business, they play so small in numbers. And by the way, here's the other problem. When you play really small numbers, the few appointments you do have are so meaningful for you, the rejection hurts 10 times more. Yes, yes. I have this saying that I say, if you need me, you can't lead me. If when you're engaging with somebody, they sense you need them. And by the way, the way you'd be needy is you don't have a lot of appointments after them. Right. And when you don't have a lot of appointments after them, you can say the exact same sentence as I can, but I have five appointments after that one. <laughs> they sense I don't need them. There's an attractiveness, a magnetism, a pull power to being busy. Mm-hmm. But if I think you need me, you can't lead me and you can't persuade me. And so that's the problem. Your sample size is too small, so you're not getting the right results. And because your sample size is too small, there's this little vibe you're putting off that's needy and people repel from that. So big question here, Ed, and if you can expound on this, it'd be awesome. Is this exclusive to a certain personality type? And if not, what can somebody that's sitting here thinking, well, that's you, Ed, and that's you, Travis, and that's set aside for people like you guys because your personality is this, this, and this, and I'm just not that way. What What would be your advice to that person? Yeah, I would say I don't know what type of personality you think you have or I have. So when you're hearing me talk now, I have a deep voice, I'm intense, I'm excitable, mm-hmm. but I, I do want to share with you that I am probably more introverted than you. Probably. That's exactly how I am, yep. Me too. I'm extremely shy. And by the way, part of it's my parents' fault. But when I was a little <laughs> boy, when I was a little boy, I did have a tendency to be quiet. But then my parents started to say, my dad's name is Ed also. So I was introduced my entire life, I'm talking about into my teenage years, is this is little Eddie, he's shy. And so my parents <laughs> constantly introduced me. So guess what? I took on that identity. Right. So right. to this day, when people meet me in public, they know me from social media stuff. I think they're struck by how shy I am, how quiet I am. Mm-hmm. And by the way, when you grow up with an alcoholic dad, my dad's, by the way, my best friend. He's been sober for 30 years. But when you grow up with an, a dysfunctional family, like many of your listeners do, so many of us come from dysfunctional families of some type, right? Mm-hmm. So I have a dysfunctional family. I'm small, naturally. I'm not a big guy. I'm shy. Plus, I'm introduced this way. I was bullied a little bit as a kid. I'm a very insecure person, naturally extremely insecure. I fight that to this day. I think when you meet people who are experts on self-confidence who have to work on themselves, typically they are people that had to come from such a low place. It's a muscle they've had to build just to function as a person, right? Yeah. So I had to build this to function as a human, okay? And so I don't think your personality is different than mine. I'm introverted. I'm shy. Here's what I have developed in my life. You get me talking about certain sports teams that I love, my faith, my family, and certain things as it comes to business, if I believe it and I'm passionate about it, you're going to get that sense from me, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. But beyond that, I'm one of the quietest people you'll ever meet. If I run into you, we went to high school together, 
and I saw you at a mall. Here's it's sad too to this day. I'll go hide in the store until you, <laughs> just because of the interaction. My wife will tell you when we travel, we travel to the best places in the world. I beg her, can we just do room service and be together? To this day, I'd rather have dinner in the room with my wife and spend every minute with her than I would be in a restaurant that's in public. And we have to fight it because she wants to go out. My wife likes to go out, right? And I'm introverted. So don't assume successful people's personalities are different than you. And I will say this to you. I'm struck often. In fact, it surprises me. The majority, this is a bold statement too, the majority of the successful people I know are natural introverts. It surprises me. Most of them are natural introverts. When we get around to dinner together, we're comfortable with one another because we're all the same way. Right. So our personalities aren't any different than yours in that regard. There's so much awesome stuff here, Ed. We do want to now take the conversation for the last few minutes, shift it over into a more networking. And everything that we've talked about can be used for this anyway, because self-confidence plays a huge role in getting to know people. But I do want to ask some more specific questions on that. And this is a question I ask every guest that comes on the show. So I'm really, really excited to hear your response to this. Do you believe that what you know or who you know is more important and why? Wow. Oh, my goodness. They're both critically important. But if I had to pick one, I would pick what I know. Hmm. And, and the reason I would pick what I know is that because I think in order to network with people, in order to build relationships with people, and by the way, I'm talking about in terms of value. Now, if you ask me what I could take with me, it'd be who I know. But you talk about value, it'd be what I know. And let me give you the reason why. What I know can introduce me to who I know. Hmm. So who I know doesn't help me with what I know necessarily. What I know is this. In order to build relationships with people and to network them, I believe in the law of reciprocity, big time. Mm -hmm. It's reciprocal. And so if I bring you value and you bring me value, we have a connection. Yeah. And so all of my great friends, there's a value there, whether they make me feel more confident or loved or cared about or secure or, or there's information, right? And so for me, I'm a huge believer in giving to people and that there's value. Like people say, would you please mentor me? Well, the mentors I've acquired in my life is because I also brought something to them of value. Right. Whether it be my coachability or my intensity or something that I knew in another area as well. Yeah. So that's a really difficult question. That's almost like picking between my two children. You know, it's <laughs> right, right. Really difficult. But I think what I know, I've obviously acquired. A, I should amend that. I've acquired a lot of what I know through who I know. Yeah. But in my case, because oftentimes people know that I know some higher profile people, I don't want people to construe that somehow that that's critical in being successful is knowing somebody famous because it's not. It has nothing to do with being successful. It's what I know. So I'll pick what I know, but that's a toughie. So can you tell us a time, a specific time that you can think back to, Ed, just like a quick story about somebody that you met one time who introduced you to this person, to that person that led to this opportunity and created a good amount of success for you? Yeah, through failure. I'll give you a great story. I had gone broke in business. One of these other times I went broke. We were newly married and my home was foreclosed on. And then about... Six months later, we went out to work at the apartment building we were in, and my wife came back in and said, someone stole my car. And I went, oh, my God. We've, you know, I'm going broke. Yeah. My home's foreclosed on. Now someone stole her car. And then it was worse than that because it wasn't stolen. It was repossessed. Um, so her car was repossessed. Then, then a few weeks later, the power was turned off. And then our water got turned off. And that was the final straw because with water, you can't even cook. And so every morning, my wife and I would get up at our apartment. We'd gather our things. I would go down the stairs to the pool area outdoors, and there was a shower there. And my bride, new bride, we would shower every morning there, freezing. Wow. And it was shameful, man. I was ashamed. 
And she had to go get a job because I couldn't make it. And when she got that job, the first day that she sat down, she sat with another lady there who had gotten the job the same day too, right next to each other at the reception desk. And that woman ended up introducing me to the best person I ever recruited into my company. Wow. And that guy has gone on to be a multimillionaire in my company and gone on to become very successful. And so that failure that happened, happened for me. If my water doesn't get turned off, the car doesn't get repossessed. If I don't lose my house, my wife doesn't get that job. She does not meet Valencia, who doesn't introduce me to Dan, and my life is completely in a different direction. So, yes. Wow. It's crazy. That's, yeah, that's such an incredible story because it's so hard for somebody listening to this right now that's maybe going through a lot of that stuff. It's so hard to look to the future and be like, hey, everything's going to be okay. When you were in that position, Ed, what were the thoughts that you had? Were you just like, man, I'm just, maybe I should just go get a job or like, was it still that commitment that we talked about at the very beginning? No, I was scared. I'm not going to tell you that I wasn't scared. I'm not going to tell you that I wasn't down. I was. What I did do is I worked. I kept working. You imagine what a fraud you feel like when you get out of that shower at the pool in the morning and you put your suit on and now you got to go, hey world, come follow me and be successful. Right. Mm -hmm. So a lot of you feel that way too. I just felt like I kept telling myself, I'm serious, everybody. I kept assuring myself of one thing because I was scared. I was down. I remembered as an athlete though, I remember coaches always telling me when I was a kid, if you keep doing the things other people aren't willing to do, Eddie, you're going to get the hits other guys aren't going to get. And so that was in baseball. And so in business, I kept telling myself, I'm willing to do the things other people aren't willing to do. I'm eventually going to get the things other people aren't going to get. And I just fed myself that belief. I'm willing to do these things. Most people won't go through this. Most most people won't pay this price. Most people won't make this many phone calls. And I kept assuring myself and assuring myself that that would happen. And I'm just telling you, it was through sheer work, sheer belief that if I kept working, because I didn't always believe in myself. I didn't always have a vision I was going to make it, right? I didn't. But what I did is I kept working. I think sometimes we have to work even when we don't feel like it. And so little by little, little cracks would happen, little breaks would happen, little things would take place. And my self-confidence just started to flourish. Mm -hmm. And we really do, I'll I'll finish on this point on this. We really do get what we expect. Mm -hmm. The truth of the matter is I was getting what I expected. I was getting what I thought I was worth. I was being tested. I had to get my self-confidence built up, my identity built up where I would not tolerate where I was. Malcolm X has this great saying, that which you do not hate, you will eventually tolerate. And I had to get to this point where I just hated where it was. It wasn't all about roses and bubble gum and I believe it and I'm overcoming. No, I was scared. I was hurting, but I kept telling myself, I'm doing stuff other people won't do. I'm going to get things they won't get. And that's how I broke through, man. Just sheer work. Yeah, I love so, so much of that. And that mentality is the exact mentality that I think most people just give up too quickly on because they let all that self-doubt take over instead of figuring out more ways to keep depositing into their confidence. So quick. Never, Travis, they never stick around. They make effort deposits and effort deposits, and then they don't stick around for the withdrawal. And so even when you're not making money, even when you're not accumulating whatever you're trying to accumulate, clients or prospects or agents in your business, whatever it is, even when that's not happening, you are making deposits. You are making deposits. Be clear about that. Every call, every meeting, every day is a deposit. Okay, I promise you. The account may not be growing yet, but it's a deposit. And eventually those deposits are magnifiers once the account starts to grow. I promise you, right? You have to stick around long enough in order to get the withdrawal. The athletes I coach, I can't tell you, brother, how often, like I'm right now I'm working with some bodybuilder guys. They train and diet and excruciating. 
and they go to the thing to get their pro card and they don't get it and they quit. And I'm like, listen, you're three more events away, six more months of contest. Why would you have done all this starvation, all this work, all the reps, all the excruciating pain to make no withdrawal? Are you crazy? You don't think all these weights you've lifted, all the dieting, that there wasn't some deposits being made there, even though you didn't get your pro card yet? Yeah. I think yeah. golfers, but business people are like, they don't see the account growing, so they're not cognizant of the deposits they're making. Thank God, brother, me and you both stayed for the withdrawal. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's the difference. Right. Right. Now that's uh, that consistency mixed with your confidence over a long time is going to produce enough results in order for you to make that withdrawal. So stick around if you're listening and you're right at that tipping point, stick around and wait for the withdrawal. Ed, I could talk about this for days, so I'm going to have to move the conversation to the last segment here, which is something I like to call the random round. Just some really quick random questions with some quick random answers. You ready? Okay, let's do it. This is the random round. What profession other than your own do you think it would be fun to attempt? I'd like to be a lawyer. If you could sit on a park bench with someone past or present and talk to them for an hour, who would it be and why? Jesus Christ. Obvious reasons. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How do you like to consume content? Books, blogs, podcasts, or videos? Books. What, what is a book that you've read recently that you would recommend to the audience? I just reread The Corporate Athlete by a guy named Grappel that I enjoyed. Perfect. Who is the best networker that you know, and why did you choose that person? Hmm. Tony Robbins. And I did it because he's helped connect me with millions of people. Give us a glimpse of your morning routine. Okay, uh, good. I have an audio on that, by the way, on my podcast. It's very specific if you want to hear it. Perfect. But I get up, and the uh, first things I do is I do meditate and pray. Just real quickly, I'll go through a couple things. I do something cold every morning to sort of shock my system and get my endorphins going and get my entire system turned on. So I do something pretty dramatic every morning, which is that I get in a cold bath or a cold ocean or a cold lake or splash cold water on my face, but I do something cold every single morning. Mm -hmm. Then I go through my gratitude program, which you could hear in my podcast, where I just flood myself with the things I'm most grateful for in my life. And then I go move my body. I go work out. I do all of that very early in the day. So I do prayer, cold, gratitude, workout. Perfect. And if you're listening right now, go check out the show notes. We'll try to link to that podcast episode. What is your go-to pump-up song, Ed? ACDC Thunderstruck. It's the song that I come out to every single time that I speak to. And the reason was my I'm a big boxing fan. And first off, I'm old, so I like ACDC. It's funny that you <laughs> favorite. Here's how I know I'm old. I just went and saw them this year, okay? One guy just died. The other guy's got dementia. And one dude had to leave the band because he lost his hearing. So that's how you know <laughs> the band that you like is gone. But um, oh, I can't believe I'm saying that. But my favorite boxer was a guy named Arturo Thundergatti, which some of your listeners will know who he was. He wasn't the best boxer of all time, but he was the one with the most heart, the most unbelievable fights you'd ever seen. If you're a boxing fan, go YouTube Arturo Gatti, G-A-T-T-I, and you'll see it. But that was his entrance song too, so it's been my pump-up song all my life. What are you not very good at? Oh my gosh, that's a huge list. <laughs> my wife will tell you anything, anything mechanical. I mean... <laughs> change a light bulb, fix something at the house, any man work, which she calls man work. <laughs> yeah, that, I'm sure that work. makes you feel better about it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nothing, absolutely nothing. I can't change a tire on a car, the oil, a light bulb. I don't know how electricity actually works. 
Anything mechanical, forget it. Oh, man. So we get everything wrapped up here, Ed. What is one place online where we will be able to find you the most? Probably edmylet.com, which I'm redoing right now because I think if I said social media, if someone hears this in two years, all those platforms could change. Okay. So edmylet.com is probably the best place to find me. Perfect. So to get more of Ed, which I totally recommend, please go over to edmylet.com. All the social links are there, his content, everything, the podcast, you can find that all over there. So please go check that out. Reach out to Ed, say what's up, and tell him that you heard about him from me. Ed, thanks so much much for coming to the show today, man. Seriously, I had a blast chatting with you. My privilege, brother. Thank you for having me. That's all for this episode of Build Your Network. Your next step is to visit byn.media slash FB to join in on our Facebook group for more personal engagement, proven strategies and tactics to reach your ultimate goals. That's byn.media forward slash FB. Remember, you're only one connection away. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Grainger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Grainger. For the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.